Mac Power Users, episode 631, Back to the Mac with Mike Hurley. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined today by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. I don't... Uh, well, who's this Mike guy? Uh, yeah, I wanted it. to introduce you. We've got a great guest today. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Mike Hurley. <laughs> Hello. Hey. I'm happy to be back. We used to have you on regularly, and and then when the new co-host came in, he's like, man, that guy, don't invite that guy back. Yeah, enough of that guy. I heard I heard he went to the iPad. That's what I that's yeah. what they said. Can't yeah. trust him. I've got okay. really one question that we need to clear up right at the top. Mike, how did you end up with such good taste in co-founders? Poor mistakes. Wow. That's harsh. Man, you guys are you guys are mean. But the uh <laughs> but you've created a very loving relay network. Uh and yeah. for folks who don't know, Mike Hurley is the co-founder of the relay network the host of many shows on the Relay Network. Um, so what all we got, Mike? We got we got Cortex. We got Upgrade. Oh, we got um, Pen Addict, uh, Connected. Uh, you know, he's a... Analog. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. He's what oh, we man. refer to in the business as a podcaster and, uh, <laughs> and a few other things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also a professional uh, keyboard enthusiast. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, is it professional yet? I feel like it kind of is, but... Either way. I make like $150 a month on Twitch. I, I oh, don't that, know if that makes me professional. That, oh, that's absolutely professional. Pro- professional, which, yes. Which, good businessman. Uh, no, TBD. I'm definitely in, in the hole on that. <laughs> yeah, I, build a $500 <laughs> keyboard and get back yeah. $100. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, if, I get it. If I was trying to set up a business on that, I would be I would be in quite a lot of trouble uh, yeah. at the moment. Yeah, but either way... Uh, uh, Mike has uh, been an Apple enthusiast for a long time, and you were podcasting before Relay it, and all this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And then for a few years, you uh, you went kind of iPad focused. Yeah. And honestly, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about it because I'm interested in what people are doing with iPads these days. But then you you came back, you came back to the Mac, mm-hmm. so we're going to talk about that today too. But yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to having you on, Mike. It's been way too long, and, and thanks for coming in today. Today on uh, More Power Users, the longer ad-free version of the show, we're going to talk about uh, what I've dubbed my overly complex Pinewood Derby setup. So my kids race the Pinewood Derby, and I get sucked in as the guy who knows how computers work. And uh, it involves serial cables and oh god, uh, some like some of the jankiest software you've ever seen. So we'll, we'll talk about that in the. Uh, the bonus episode for members. Yeah, I mean, there's one line in the outline that says serial cable, and I'm like, okay, now I've got to hear this because I didn't even know they, you know, that was a thing still. A very alive. I was going to say alive and well. The well part's probably not true, but still alive. I remember when, you know, we actually had to use serial cables under fire, and it was like, it was hell. Like, you'd have one little pin get bent and then some guy would come and just jam it in as hard as possible. And then <laughs> you were in all sorts of trouble. But anyway, uh, but of course, Stephen would embrace it. So I think that's going to be fun to talk about today. So we're going to get to that. But first, let's catch up with Mike. Um, what, you know, since we you were last on the show, Mike, Apple's made a couple changes in some of the stuff they make. And we've got the Apple Silicon Revolution now in full swing. Uh, what is your gear these days? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, so we start with Macs. 
All right. So I use two Macs uh, on a on a daily basis. So my main computer, like just straight up most important computer computer in my life, I'll include iPads in that discussion, uh, is my 14-inch MacBook Pro. Um, I absolutely adore that laptop. By and large, I use it uh, in clamshell mode with a LG monitor, but it's you know I take it home with me if I need to do a bit of work at home, uh, and it's more than what my iPad can handle. Which these days, my choices suggest mostly it is more than I want to do on my iPad. We'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, that's my main machine. Um, I'm wait, speaking wait, wait. to you. So how, how mm-hmm. did you spec it out? I mean, people oh, want to um, know. Oh man, I have the Pro Max chip. For no real reason, um, it was just what I decided to go with. You know, like this is one of those things where the three of us can understand this. You know, like you doing these things and you want to get the products and you want to be able to talk about them, right? So it kind of means that if you want to get it for launch day or whatever, so you can talk about it on your show, you kind of have to just order really fast. And for me, that means that I either A, I'm not 100% sure what I'm ordering, or B, make mistakes. I've ordered the wrong iPhone color multiple times uh, (laughs) for this reason. Uh, But yeah, I went with a, I got two terabytes um, of SSD storage because that's kind of like, for me, that is my baseline. Um, And it has been for, for a while because that just means I can get like, if I wanted to, everything that's in my Dropbox stored locally and mm-hmm. more than um and i got uh i'm taking a look at my apple receipt here uh <laughs> i also got yeah so i got the 10 core m1 max chip and like i said pro max that made me seem like a a, a fake mac boy m1 max chip 10 core cpu 24 core gpu uh and i went with 64 gigabytes of unified memory I think you a shocking number of our listeners would totally understand the desire to get a maxed out laptop because uh, you get it and you just want to use it and not think about it and replace yep. it for a long time and and even you know some of us who are sometimes guilty of not holding on to them as long as we probably should <laughs> we still want the maxed out ones too. I I had it, there was a friend that came over to my house the other day and I could literally hear him drive up because he's got like a fancy car with a big engine in it. Mm-hmm. And then I walked him out later and he's like, "So how's your hybrid? You know, my car you like have to get out and push sometimes." <laughs> and and as he was driving, I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know everybody has their thing right and there's nothing wrong with making your thing being a fancy car or a fancy computer mm-hmm. it's okay we don't have to apologize for it it's i awesome. mean for me as well like this this isn't a reason but it's just like a benefit yeah. max retain value um yeah. the pretty yeah. well so you know when when i do buy new machines now i sell the old ones and they retain value pretty yeah. well. And ultimately, I end up, in my mind, just paying for the year or two years of usage and then get some money back and go back in the pool again. Yeah, I'm the exact opposite of Steven that way. I don't want to keep anything. I <laughs> no. find a use for it. I give it away. I sell it. I do something and get you it know, out the door. I'll sell modern stuff. Like my iMac Pro I sold. But it's just in 15 years, I'll find a cheap one on Craigslist, you know? So the real question is, is Steven going to sell his Mac Pro in six months? Well, you know, the pri- the value of the Mac Pro is not what it once was. So yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I thought of, Mike, when you're talking about your storage, a lot in the conversation about the M1 is, you know, it has a 
It has some limitations the M1 Pro mm. and M1 Max don't have. So the M1 uh, maximum is 16 gigabytes of memory. If you want 32 or 64, you got to go to the M1 Pro or M1 Max line. But another one of the uh, sort of the limitations of the M1 chip is two terabyte SSD is as big as you can go internally. And it sounds like that's enough for you. But if someone is weighing, you know, maybe in the future when there's more M1 Pro machines, <laughs> if you're weighing, you know, don't need the M1 or the M1 Pro, be sure to look at all of those different factors. Because it may be that the storage or the the memory constraints of the basic chip that may be what what holds you back. Yeah, and like you know, talking about those kinds of constraints, my the computer I'm talking to you now on is uh, M1 iMac. I have a yellow M1 iMac. It's been my recording machine um, for the best part of the last year, and that has I have two terabytes of storage on here too. Um, oh, sorry, one terabyte. I have just one terabyte on this one uh, with 16 gigabytes of unified memory, and. It doesn't really come to bite me on this machine so much, but I was using the original uh, M1 MacBook Pro for a while, and that 16 gigabytes of memory on that machine, because I was doing a lot on it, that would really get upset sometimes. Like I would get those pop-ups, and it was like, hey, you do not have enough memory <laughs> anymore, and you need to close some applications. So that was one of the reasons why I went so high with the RAM on the MacBook Pro that replaced it, because I just didn't want to keep running into that anymore, and I haven't had this issue once at all on the 14-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah, I, I have this theory that these um, these Apple Silicon Macs are going to be very stable and last a long time. And, yeah. you know, Apple's been making iPads that last forever for a decade, and these are almost like souped-up version of iPad chips. In some cases, they're the same chips. Um, so I can't help but feel like these things are going to last a while. So I do think getting more storage or memory when you buy it might serve you well because I su- I suspect your computer's not going to feel slow for a long time. I mean, I guess while we're recording this, we're on the eve of an Apple event, and I yeah. do wonder if there's going to be anything with the M2, which is with that in mind. Like the M1 is just like we'll get this out the door, and maybe the M2 brings some quality of life improvements that would allow for more storage, more RAM. But that's what I would like to see from mm. from that base base level. I think that needs to increase over time. All right. Um, so you've got, but but what color did you get? I I don't remember what color did you end up getting for your iMac. It's yellow. Nice, nice. I was lucky enough to get sent a review unit of this machine, and the one that they sent me was yellow, and so then I kind of fell in love with the yellow. I don't mm-hmm. think yellow is the one I would have chose. I probably would have bought the orange one. Yeah, the orange um, is but good. I've really come to love the yellow. And then, you know, me and Steven, we do our campaign, which Mac Power uses. Listeners will know we do our podcastathon every year. Um, and we challenge each other to do things. And now my desk is completely covered in stickers of Steven's face, which, because of his beautiful blonde hair, are almost yellow kind of in their hue. So it really does fit in now, honestly, with the, the whole <laughs> milieu I'm building over here. Uh, can we put a picture of that in the show notes? Because I think it's, yes. it's truly disturbing, that <laughs> <Yeah>. picture. <laughs> It's something. I don't know. That's for sure. I don't know, man. I, I I really like Stephen Hackett, but that's too much Stephen Hackett. At this point, I barely notice it. It's just like this is just what my desk looks like. <laughs> well, it almost becomes a texture when you get yeah. that many stickers, right? That's a lot. It's hundreds, yeah. hundreds, and hundreds and hundreds. Okay. Um. So switching over to the iPad, what are you using these days? iPad Mini. That's all. What? Just the iPad Mini? I thought you well, had a Pro too. 
I'll give an asterisk, right? So I have yeah. an iPad Pro. Yeah. I have a 12-inch iPad Pro. It is the 2020 version. Yeah. So yeah. the one that they added LiDAR for. I think that was the 2021. Yeah, the, the, the big upgrade year. I have air yeah. quotes See, here. Yes. Again, this is one of those things where new iPad Pro dropped, and I was like, all right, quick, let me buy it. And then I'm the sucker because nothing changed. But, yeah. you know, we got hey, I got that. Yeah, <laughs> so I got LiDAR. Well, put, put an asterisk on that. I have a use for that for you in a minute. What are you doing with it currently? That iPad Pro, it has two uses now. Its main place now is it is mounted to a rowing machine that I have in my studio. Okay. All right. Um, So that's pretty good for Fitness Plus. Uh, And then also like part of my work now is like product design. I run a company called Cortex Brand who make notebooks and and other things coming. And I like to use the Apple Pencil on the larger screen to draw out and sketch some stuff. That's it. Other than that, that that iPad Pro doesn't do anything for me anymore. My my main iPad usage is all on the iPad Mini. Yeah, and honestly, I could see you using that for like another six years because it's it's going to be fine, you know. That also may be the next time they update it. So yeah, I don't yeah, think I'm going to have a choice in the matter. <laughs> Which uh, you know, I, I love that iPad Mini. It's so good. It, the the form mm-hmm. factor of the Mini has always been interesting because it's always been the small one, but. For a long time now, it's just kind of sat kind of at the bottom of the line in terms of importance, but mm-hmm. not in terms of price, right? It's been more expensive mm-hmm. than the base one. But with this new design, like the iPad Air design scaled down so nicely. I mean, I'm I'm right with you. Like I haven't touched my iPad Pro. I have one from 2018. And it's just been on a shelf because the mini does everything I want it to do in this like really great size and lightweight form factor. It, it's really crazy because I mean, the iPad mini has been around a while, but it's the new design and like the new, you know, the Apple pencil integration. Like it's like suddenly everybody's like, what? You know, the everybody's really into the iPad mini now. And, you know, I'm one as well. I, I have one. We took our vacation last month. I brought that and a $30 keyboard off Amazon that folds and fits in my pocket, and that was awesome. Yeah, like I said this at the time, um, and it's kind of going with some of the stuff that, that you said, Dave. Like, I really liked what you put in uh, for Jason's scorecard, the six-color scorecard of, like, I'm kind of just now accepting what the iPad is for and doing yeah. what the iPad wants me to do. And I do feel like the iPad mini is like the best content consumption iPad that Apple's ever made. And I'm just really leaning into this is what the iPad is for me. It's, it is when I'm at home, it is the, pretty much the only thing I use. I don't really use my iPhone very much at home, at least not as much as I use my iPad mini. Um, and it's great because also it, it being more constrained, it having a keyboard which is harder to use because it takes up most of the screen if you use it in landscape. It stops me from working on it too much. So I actually quite like the, you know, I then have to go into the hallway, open my backpack, get my laptop out. Like there's hurdles there. And so it's helping me keep some of that separation, which I really enjoy. I mean, you know, when you get in like one of these bad relationships and you decide that you can change the other person or you, you, you have a relationship with somebody and they think they can change you. And of course it never it has a happy ending that that described my relationship with the iPad up until very recently. 
Hmm. I was I was trying to change it and it didn't want to be changed. But nope. Well, we can talk about that later. I, I want to I also have a question for you because I know with your iMac, you've got this amazing, well, you know, pretty amazing Apple screen. It's not like the quality of screens that they're putting in the in the MacBook Pro, but it's a good screen in that new uh, smaller iMac. And then you've got something next to it. What are, what are you putting next to your screen? You've got another like external monitor, but what is it? Uh, I'm just using some Dell monitor. Like I don't even know what it is. Like I can find it f- for you for yeah. the show notes, but I don't recommend this monitor to anybody. So <laughs> when I set up my studio, it was a weird time. You know, I signed yeah. the lease on my studio space in February 2020. That was a great timing. It was great. And yeah. so things kind of were messed up for a while as to moving all of my gear here and trying to understand what I was going to be doing. And I'd had an iPad, uh, a Mac Mini for a number of years at that point that I had at home and was didn't really know what. I wanted to set up like a home server with it, but it ended up not really going anywhere. So I brought that Mac Mini here to the studio to be kind of like the interim computer that I would use for hopefully starting to record and while I was trying to work out where I was going to have all of my machines because I didn't really know when I was actually going to be fully moving into the space. Now, Mac Mini needs a monitor, right? So I just went on Amazon, found one that had decent reviews and just bought this Dell monitor Yeah, and used it for a while and it's fine, right? Like it's, the resolution's fine enough. It's got a matte screen on it, which is kind of interesting. Um, it was doing the job. And then when the... I iMac came into my life. I was like, great, goodbye Mac Mini. I don't need you anymore. Um, and I got rid of, I, the, the, I had the monitor on a VESA arm, which was mounted to the desk and I just took it all down, got rid of it, uh, like put it back in its box and kind of put it in storage here in the studio. After using the iMac for a little while, the 24 inch screen was fine but I had a lot more windows overlapping than I did before, yeah. uh, especially coming from the 27-inch uh, iMac Pro that I had previously. And so I was like, hmm, what could I do here? Because one of the things that I didn't like is, you know, I have all of my audio hijacks set up and everything, and I like to just be able to see the whole window just to make sure that everything looks like it's recording. I can glance at it and see the count is going up. But on the iMac if I wanted to have that open along with, say, Safari for my show notes, something's going to overlap something. And so I ended up setting up this, like Gretton the Dell monitor back out of storage and setting it up next to the iMac. So now I have just one screen and it's got Audio Hijack on it. It's got Zoom and it's got Skype and it just lives there forever. And so all of the recording stuff is always visible to me and it's just off on its own. And then I can have just Safari open. And if we are doing a show live, I'll have Discord open on the main screen of the iMac. It's really cool. I like it a lot. So the way I, when you were talking about your big iPad late, uh, earlier, what I do is I use, I have the 2018, I have the very first square edged iPad, whatever that was. You know, I'm mm-hmm. talking about the big one. Yeah. And I actually have it on a stand under my monitor, and I run it uh, either as sidecar or just as a separate monitor. And I can put all the tools on there, and it's a very nice-looking screen. Obviously, it's a $1,000 monitor, right? Um, uh, but recently, I got I had a Dell as well that my daughter was using, but then she went back to school, so she didn't need it anymore. So I connected it to my computer, and I get that it's nice to have extra pixels, 
Um, we just interviewed Annie Murphy Paul on Focus, who talked about how important it is that have you have extra pixels. But I just could not stand how ugly it looked next to my screen. <laughs> it was purely aesthetics. I, I pulled it down after a week. I couldn't take it. Yeah, well, I mean, I understand that. I feel like I can live with it. I think I, in your situation with the pro display, yeah. I think I would maybe struggle a little bit more, you know? Like yeah. The display on the iMac is really nice, right? Like, and no complaints here. It's a beautiful display. But the one that I've got on the side is fine. But also as well, I'm not using this Dell display for active stuff. I'm not like reading things on it. I'm not like checking my calendar on it. Like it really is for me just like a very static screen. But it's just something I can glance at and just make sure it's working the way that I want and leave it there. It's more about getting things off my immediate desktop Mm -hmm. than being a secondary place for me to go and look at and do work and stuff. So I just forget it's there. But the pro display is like, having a really fancy car and like bolting a big plastic hot dog on top of it. And <laughs> yeah. It, nobody wants a plastic hot dog. I, look, here's the thing, right? I don't want to, I don't want to pull a Steven and say something that I'm later going to regret. Hey. Uh, because I, because, <laughs> because I'd end up doing the thing. If Apple released their own displays, I'm not going to replace the Dell display with one of those just wow. for the sake of on replacing record, it. Uh, please, you know? uh, madam transcriber, uh, Mark the record right there. <laughs> Unless those displays are like $200 a piece, which they won't be, right? They're no. going to be expensive. I mean, I would never buy a Pro Display XDR and not tell no. anybody about it for three months. Doesn't sound like me. I just want to say my restraint, you know, like, because mm. I deal with just the worst situation with my, I have an LG monitor. It's, it's, it's from their Ergo line. It's the ultra fine Ergo. And one of the reasons I really like this monitor, this is that I use with my MacBook Pro, is it's like 30 inches, it looks really nice, the screen's good, um, and it's got a really great like um, arm that clamps to the desk, and it's got lots of adjustability in all angles. I really love the monitor for, for its adjustability. And I have it plugged into a CalDigit dock, which is where I have all of my peripherals plugged in and stuff like that. Um, and it's what I, you know, with one cable, I can plug into my MacBook Pro, right? Live in the dream. Okay. <laughs> Every day, I plug my laptop in. I have to open the laptop. I have to unplug the USB-C cable from the back of the monitor and plug it back in again for the monitor to come on. I do this every day. This is how I start my day when I get to the studio. If I don't do that, it won't work. And if I leave the machine for, like, say I've come and record for, like, three or four hours, I have to go back and I have to do it again. Mm. So I feel like, and then, you know, all my friends with their big pro display XDRs are like, oh, come on, just get one. And I have restrained. It's like I'm dealing with this terrible monitor setup every single day, and I have not gone down the pro display XDR route because that monitor is too expensive. That's, yeah, that's, it is. So I, I think I deserve it congratulations. Is. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. For great email filtering, no matter which email application you use, go to SaneBox.com MPU and stop drowning in email today. I love it when these SaneBox ad reads come up because I love using the product so much. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, and it saves you hours. I run it on my Mac all the time. The way it works is SaneBox looks at the name of the person sending you email and the subject line and keeps track of how often you reply to that person. And then it sorts email for you. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but 
It's like a smart secretary sorting your email for you before you have to do it yourself. And that way your inbox just has the most important email for you. And the other sane boxes hold the less important email. It really allows you to prioritize email in a way that's well sane. Uh, It works with all kinds of email programs and services. You don't have to have a special app. It's so great at email filtering, but it also has other features like uh, you can delay email. If you put something into a snooze box, like say three days, then you don't see it for three days and then it comes back to you. They've got the same black hole uh, where you can unsubscribe with one click. You put an email in there and in the future, anybody that sends you an email from that address you just don't see anymore. It's a very satisfying experience to put something into the same black hole. And then my favorite feature is saying reminders. You can carbon copy or blind copy to a certain increment of time at samebox.com, like one week at samebox.com. And if the person doesn't respond to that email within a week, you get a reminder. It's just a really good way to keep on track of things. Uh, It's more than filtering, though. You can also have it save your attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services. And prices start as low as $4 a month. I, when I first found Samebox, I fell in love with it. I have it on all my email accounts, and you can get a 14-day free trial. Just go to samebox.com slash MPU. Uh, you get a $25 credit on any plan. You get that 14-day free trial. Uh, we have a huge percentage of MPU listeners that try this and end up signing up. They they write me and say, we don't understand why you guys use it so much. Well, MPU listeners get it. It's just a really great way to help take control of your mail. And because it works on the cloud, it can work with any mail application and it's really great. So go check it out. That's sanebox.com slash MPU. You can receive that $25 credit on any plan and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thanks again to Sanebox for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So one of the the big... uh pain points when talking about the continuum from the iPad to the Mac is that iPad OS just has some inherent uh, software limitations that aren't there on the Mac. And Mike, I'm curious if you had a workflow or something that was kind of leading you back to the Mac and the new hardware was just a, a fun opportunity to jump back in. But what was that interplay for you? This is an interesting question because I don't really feel like I've reached like a breaking point. Right. Like, I don't think that I was just like, oh, I cannot stand iPadOS anymore. And I, nor did I really feel like I was on any kind of like gradual decline, like a frustration point. Because I was, you know, I could get all my stuff done fine that I needed. Sometimes it took a little bit more work, a few extra taps here and there. But I liked, and still to this day, really like the multitasking kind of method of iPadOS. I find it very natural, very fluid. It makes sense, like, you know, the way you touch things and move things around with your hands. Like, I like all of that. And I have said before, and I maintain, I really do not like the just the general look of multitasking on the Mac. Like, I don't like windows that are just all over the place. Uh, and neither have I ever really been happy with any of the, like, window snapping tools. There's just something about it that what I want is some kind of thing that goes in the middle of what iPad and what Mac does but I don't know what that is exactly. All I know is I kind of find myself not really mega happy with either of them because with the iPad, the, the limit of only having two and one little tiny window on the side can sometimes be frustrating. I genuinely think for me, it wasn't a software thing that moved me back to the Mac. I think it was just 
uh, it was a hardware thing, and also the ergonomics of it all, so, which I guess were ties in with hardware, really. Um, just as the hardware on the Mac was becoming more exciting, those ergonomic challenges that I mentioned, like they just became much easier to solve for me and just to be much more comfortable with the flexibility that the Mac provides. Yeah, you know, something you said that really kind of stood out for me is that your location matters in terms of your mm. platform preference. Like you work at a desk recording podcasts and editing yep. shows. And that is a location where a Mac is is ergonomically, but also just kind of built for it. Whereas a, an iPad isn't made for that. An iPad's made to sit on the couch and you know fiddle with, I feel like. I do wish that Apple would take that last step though, because they are so close now to making that a possibility. And it's the thing that, you know, we've been talking about for years now, which is just make it a better experience if I want to plug a monitor in. Like, yeah. what would that look like? You yeah. know, because that the pointer on iPadOS is so much cooler and, and I like it way more than the pointer on the Mac. Like, I think yeah. it looks better. I think it operates better. Um, and, you know, obviously keyboards work absolutely fine. And there's tons of great keyboard shortcuts now made even better with uh, 15. Like I, I would love to see them do something with the displays. And I just hope that that is on the horizon still. However, this is, again, going back to what you were saying earlier, Dave, and what I mentioned earlier, the problem with being a fan of iPadOS is you are always saying, when it comes to the operating system, maybe they're going to do X soon. And I feel like it's just too many years of saying that yeah. when I can just use the Mac, which is a platform that I enjoy more than enough. It's not like, look, we might talk about Windows later. I can get by on Windows. I don't enjoy it. Like I find Windows to be very frustrating in places. And I think for some of the creative work that we all do can actually be compli like too complicated. You know, It's not like I'm choosing between a platform that I enjoy and a platform that I don't enjoy, you know? So moving from iOS to macOS as primary, again, it wasn't that much of a problem for me at all. I do think you're one of the few people who seem to prefer multitasking on the iPad over the Mac, though. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's maybe the combination of just the way the system works and how big the screens are. Like, I don't like split-screen multitasking on a Mac, like on an iMac, for example, because it just feels like wasted space to me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're taking yeah. like a 21 or 24-inch monitor or something and splitting it exactly down the middle. Like, that just doesn't feel right. You know, where like on an iPad, that feels really right, you know. And, and the apps as well are made for it. You know, like apps are made to look good on those screens in all of the different size classes that Apple makes them. Like I, I just find that to be an, a, a nice experience. And I do like, you know, moving windows around my hands and stuff like that all just fits really well where, you know, when, then when I'm on the Mac, I think part of the problem is myself, honestly, I'm, I am a messy Mac user with my windows. They're all over the place, all overlapping. Now, Mike, I, I have listened to you talk about this on Cortex. I feel like, uh -huh. I, ha I have a challenge for you. I want you to do oh, something no. for me. Okay. Okay. Because you talked about Windows, and, and there's a lot not to uh -huh. like about Windows, but actually Windows window management is probably better than the Mac's window management, you know, the way things kind of snap and move around. But I, I would like you to do me a favor, and just, just for 30 days, try. there's an app called Moom. So I'm not going to push you into Keyboard Maestro. I know you don't want to go like down there, but there's an app called Moom, and they've got a feature in there. If I have to, I'll send you some screenshots or a little video. But you can 
you can easily drag windows on a pre-designated grid. So you can kind of set them up the way you want. And then you can record a keyboard shortcut to save that. So like if you're going to be doing podcasting, you could say, I want this window here, that window there, blah, blah, blah. And then when I sit down and hit control option command zero on my keyboard, just arrange those windows for that. I think you Mm -hmm. would like it. I think it would, because, because you're right. A split screen, what Apple has done isn't any good. It's two, two, two windows for that big massive screen don't make any sense, but you know, maybe four or six um, could make sense for you. And especially with that second monitor, I think there's, I think there's room for you here without going like full automation crazy on this stuff. Mm, interesting. All right, I'm willing to try it. I mean, so right. one of the things for me is I just leave all my apps open all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're just all open and all overlapping. And then I yeah. just kind of click in the dock for which one I need at any given moment. Well, well, does that work for you? Sure, it's just messy. Yeah, see, but that's, it the impression I get is you don't like you like the clean uh, kind of environment of the iPad, the way it's just kind of set up yeah. for you. And and my point would be with Moom, you could do that on the Mac. You could make okay. it so it does that for you. And then it's not messy. All right, I'm going to download it and I'm going to try it. I'm going to download it. I'm going to try it, Dave, for you. Like, it even has a little thing where you can put a little gutter between the windows so they're not like right next to each other. There's a little space between them. And I do that. I would actually like to know from the two of you, are you windows touching or windows not touching? Oh, windows not touching. I mean, there has to be 10 pixels there. D- yeah, there, there needs to be some space, but I don't really use many of these tools i mean my setup is just overlapping windows all the time chaos and then of i can just use is. the trackpad to quickly kind of zoom around inside mission control well the other thing i did in moom that is very clever i would think is uh you guys are gamers so you know jkl you know how you move around with that stuff um i set up in moom the favorite places i like to put windows like top left corner you know, left side, right side. And I, and I map them to keyboard shortcuts in Moom with control option and JKL or I or UIO or NMW, everything that's right around that section. My fingers are there anyway. So I can just hold down control and command and press anything. Like if I hold down control command and press J, it takes the existing window and puts on the left side of the screen. If I hold down control command, press L, it puts on the right side of the screen. And then like I've done other like variations of that. So not only do I have kind of pre-programmed setups, if I'm going to podcast or screencast or write or whatever, um, I've also got the ability on the fly to just like arrange things nicely. And Mm. with Moom, it puts the little gutter between them. And uh, I'm like you. I do not like overlapping messy desktops. I need them to be clean. Mm. Okay. Well, try it. I don't know. You didn't answer your question. Are you? Do you have space between the windows, or do you put them right on top of each other? Oh, they're mostly. Will they either go on top of each other, or are they like they touch? They like just yeah. touch next to each other. Yeah. Well, try Moom. I. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make Moom. a little video. I'm gonna make a little video. Maybe I'll just oh, put it brilliant. up for everybody, so you can all see it. And uh, but it's really clever, and uh, and you can also do this stuff in tools like shortcuts which doesn't do it as well as Moom does. And you can do it in stuff like uh, Keyboard Maestro, which is more tedious than Moom. So th- there's other ways mm-hmm. to do it. But I think that um, that might make the experience more iPad-like. And it sounds to me like that's what you're looking for. I think it might be. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to take the challenge. 
This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Text Expander. You can get 20% off of Text Expander with the link in the show notes. Text Expander is critical to keeping things consistent and accurate. It's a fast-paced world out there, and things are constantly changing. Errors in messaging often have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring that your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. Get your message right every time. Expand content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Your team members will consistently know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or copy and paste. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. I can't imagine my working life without Text Expander. I rely on it hundreds of times a week. And without it, my computer feels broken. I think you're going to feel the same way. So visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. And again, you'll get 20% off your first year. Okay, Mike, another thing that you're doing, and I don't know if this overlaps with your return to the Mac, but it seems like it does, is you have gone all in on mechanical keyboards. Yeah. Like, not have you just like got a mechanical keyboard. You're like, you have a soldering iron. You're like doing Mm -hmm. stuff, man. How did that happen? So kind of around the beginning of the pandemic, I was starting to get some videos served to me on YouTube of this kind of stuff. I don't know how YouTube knew that it was time for me to start mechanical keyboards, but YouTube decided. Um, And I was watching a bunch of videos from like a couple of Twitch streamers. Um, There's one called Teja Types, one called Alex Otos. I can give you links for their channels. And they're kind of like two of the biggest streamers in the space. And I was just kind of like, I was, you know, we all had a bunch of time on our hands, right? And so I started watching a bunch of Twitch streams, which or just having them on in the background. The really nice thing about kind of the keyboard Twitch stream stuff is they're very relaxed and you can kind of just put them on and have them as background sound. You know, they play music and they talk and answer questions and you can look over every now and then and kind of see what they're doing. And I found it like a really relaxing thing. The more and more videos that I watched, the more drawn I was getting to the interesting designs um, that the keyboards had. And that was really what pulled me in first. You know, like there are lots of different things about this kind of stuff. Some people like the way the keyboards feel to type on. Some people like the way they sound. And I am more drawn towards the visuals of it. You know, like I think we spoke about this on previous episodes, but you know, I've had a, a long love affair with pens and it's a similar thing for me. You know, like they are these tools that we use and, and I like to collect interesting looking ones and, and I get drawn to the aesthetics of it and then how they feel to use. So then as the pandemic kind of continued, my consumption of this kind of content increased to the point where I then started buying some products and pre-ordering some products of my own. Um, and then it kind of just went on from there to the point where I ended up starting streaming on my own as well because it kind of felt like that was this was a space that I wanted to be in and, and have fun with and and enjoy. And there's a small group of people um, who are mostly in the Relay FM members Discord, and we have a channel there, and we're talking all the time. And then kind of once a week, they'll come and hang out with me while I stream on Twitch as well, while I'm kind of just sharing my hobby with others 
like that's what one of the things that I really like about it is this is just like a hobby of mine now and I get to share it and in a way that doesn't really feel like work at all you know like I, I stand by never wanting to have a keyboard podcast for this reason like I just want to enjoy this thing for what sure. it is yeah. Um, but yeah I think it, it it may have assisted with the move to the Mac I mean ultimately these keyboards they're very simple things you know like they they work with iPads perfectly well you know you can connect they're all you know you can connect any of them to USB-C and it's it's simple but then over time like I was really drawn to learning a little bit about electronics you know, like that—that that was like really fascinating to me. I'm sure this is something that Stephen can um, can agree with, right? Like the idea of being able to open something up and tinker with it, and it's—it's it's now opened me up to other things. Like me and Stephen have been very slowly over the last year, like completely rebuilding an entire iPod together on stream, <laughs> and like the, these are like skills that I now feel are in my kind of tool set, like opening mm -hmm. up stuff, kind of having a better idea of taking things apart, putting them back together. And then soldering is just, it's not a complicated thing, but it's a, I think it's a daunting thing. It was very daunting to me, especially because this thing is so hot, you know, like it's an incredibly yeah. hot iron and you got to do it all right. But yeah, I, I adore it. It's like, I'm so happy that I found this little hobby and I mean, you know, it is a rabbit hole. These things can be a money pit, but as long as you just handle it properly, uh, it's a nice little thing to enjoy. Yeah, and um, and you've made some really nice keyboards. It's funny. I was just thinking about it. You're like uh, you like to uh, fetishize input mechanisms. You got the uh, yeah, you got the pins. You got the keyboards. I think next is mice. You're going to build your own mouse, right? That's next. <laughs> I would do that. I would if there if that was such a thing. I would do it. Like yeah. I am a tools person, not like yeah. a, a you know, not like a power tools person or whatever. But I yeah. enjoy things that people use for creativity, and 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 I like to all of that stuff. I like to have them in a very specific way. You know, this comes down to my computers too, right? Yeah, I want them in a certain way. Like I'm sure so many Mac power users can like like can sympathize with this and empathize with this so like i just want things set up a certain way and i find it particularly exciting when i can go to every element of it mm -hmm. right like i can build the keyboard that goes on the desk the desk that i chose and customize in a certain way and goes with everything else that i have on my desk which all goes together to help me make my work yeah well i uh I, for one, am a fan because I've been enjoying it vicariously through you. I, hmm. I'm i not like as far down that rabbit hole as you are, but I actually am interested in seeing what you can do. Like you made like these little keyboards. Like I think it was one of the reasons why you were resistant to Stream Deck. You were making like little Macro tiny pads. keyboards. Macro pads, they're called. Yeah, I have a few of these. What What is that? Well, a lot of them are just numpads, right? Yeah. So that or they start off that way. Um, but I have a couple of these. What we they're called macro pads. It's like a six key kind of thing, like a stream deck, right? Yeah. But they just have regular keycaps on them. Um, and I have a few of these that like can either be good hobby projects, like good starting projects for soldering, which is why I got some. Um, and then there's like a couple that I have just because I think they're aesthetically attractive. Um, and I use these when I'm streaming, so. I use them how stream decks were originally intended, right? Like yeah. to change between camera scenes and to use different effects and stuff. And so when I'm streaming, I use my macro pads. They're all just like coded to do certain functions or they're set to certain function keys, which triggers something in my streaming software. So they're sending just the, the ANSI code for 
the uh, I'm probably getting the language wrong here, but they're sending the code for like the number one on the number pad. Is that what they're doing? What are they sending to the computer when you press them? Well, I have them set up as like F18 through 29 or something, yeah. which you can you can customize what these keys do. Wait a um, second. So this so could be I in addition to... to a number pad. So they're because you don't mm-hmm. normally have F18 through 29. Um, my, no, but you, you can. Computers will understand that if you can code that to the keyboard. And there's like reprogramming software that I use. So, you know, like I have this six key one that's on my desk, which is the one that I mostly use for uh, setting up stream stuff. And I think it starts at F18. Yeah. Um, and so you can just tell the, you know, with the remapping software, you can just tell the macro pad, this is what this key will do. And then you can go to the streaming software and, you know, like with any keyboard uh, shortcut remapping, it's like, what key do you want to activate this? And I just hit that and it's like, oh, we recognize that as F18. That will be the one for this scene. Um, so, you know, and you, but you can also, with a lot of these keyboards, they have like these really cool remapping tools and you can set them to basically do anything. It's, it's really cool. And then you can just set it up as such and customize the keyboard shortcuts to allow you to do stuff in the software. Oh man, this is the point where you suck me in, Mike. This is the point. <laughs> hey, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not macro doing nothing. Pad. I would say, Google I macro think pad. Okay. I wouldn't for you. The stream deck is way better for what you want yeah, it for because this is just like it's, it is a, you know, the the interface is hidden from you. I have to just remember or through muscle memory, remember what these keys do. And they can only do six things, right? With the stream decks, you can, as you, right, as you spoke about a couple of weeks ago, you can set those up a little folders and all that kind of stuff. I'm using like a real, I'm using like a real old school stream deck. But uh, it's still kind of fun. The idea that I could get more, I could get F20. I don't have F20 right now. I want F20. Imagine how many functions you could have. Well, I, if I were to do it, I would use it for screen setups. Like I have those already yep. plugged into my stream deck, but it would be cool to have like buttons that are always there that like, okay, mm-hmm. going into podcast mode, press button and then everything happens, you know, that kind of thing. That would be cool. Especially if you had stuff that you always need and yeah. isn't going to change, like like those screen setups that you have, having just fixed keys for those just seems fun. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm going to save this search. That's all I'm going to say. So, Mike, you're doing these these streams where you're building a keyboard or repairing one or you know, updating something. Talk to us a little bit about how uh, how that's set up and kind of what drew you to Twitch. Because I think a lot of people know it mostly for things like video game streaming. How did you land on that being the place to explore this with other people? Yeah, I mean, Twitch was the easy choice for me because that's where all the keyboard stuff was happening. So all of the streams that I was watching, it was they were happening on Twitch. So the more I was watching, the more I understood the kind of particulars about the platform. You know, like all of these platforms, they have their own language, they have their own mechanisms, like how they work and how people think about them. So I was internalizing that just through watching the streams. So then when I decided that I wanted to do it myself, it made sense. And plus, you know, I'd had, I've I've had a bit of experience with Twitch in the past. I've done some game streaming. We've done the podcast, the fun streams. We do them on Twitch. Um, And so for me, it was like, well, if I want to do some streaming on my own, I'll just go to Twitch. And I like to have an understanding of different platforms, you know, like I've had some stuff in YouTube for a while and not really given my time to Twitch too much. I was like, okay, let me go and see what that's all about. And I do think that for what I am doing, it works really well. It's mostly ephemeral stuff. I don't really feel the need to keep a lot of videos. Every now and then, I'll save a video and put it on my YouTube channel. 
uh, if there's something specific about it. But by and large, these streams, they don't hold, I think, information that is like desperately needed to be saved, like a YouTube video. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that, they're, they're very just like what's happening now is what's happening. And afterwards, it's not really going to be that helpful in a, in a week or whatever. Or, you know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, and for me, like, I, you know, if I'm going to be doing streaming, I want to be doing it on Windows. The streaming software on PCs is so much better. It's kind of interesting, really, it, to my to my tastes or to my knowledge, it's the only creative thing that I think Windows is better suited for. Luckily, I was going to say, I'm sure some people disagree. I don't think any Mac Power users, listeners are going to necessarily disagree with me there. I think I'm probably in the right space to make that comment. But there's just a lot of stuff that the Mac isn't very well suited for in the graphics department, right? And this is where Windows can shine because I can just throw more power to the system mm-hmm. and it can deal with things a lot better, whether that's pulling in multiple uh, video sources, capturing the screens, and you know all of this stuff I find to be way more reliable on a PC. I've tried to do all of this on a Mac and it just doesn't go where I want it to go. Yeah. Like I, I cannot get it set up just the way that I want and get reliability out of it ultimately. Yeah, it, it makes sense. That's been my experience as well. It's why I built a PC for my streaming stuff. It's I feel like it's gotten better in the Apple Silicon era in terms of horsepower that you need, but mm-hmm. things like capturing specific windows or layering things in a certain way, macOS is just a little bit finicky about at times. And there are some things, especially within the window capture area, that you just can't do on macOS that you can on Windows. And some of that may be improving uh, over time, but I think if you're doing serious streaming like you are, you have multiple camera angles and you've got audio coming in, you know, it's it's a lot more than just sitting down in front of a webcam. You've kind of built a whole, you know, little set there on your desk with all these inputs. I totally get why you would go to Windows for that. And there might be a chicken and egg situation, right? Because the software isn't as good, but maybe the software isn't as good. You know, like mm-hmm. it just goes around. Like the software, they have the, you can get the same software, like OBS and Streamlabs, which is what I use on the PC. There's two different flavors of the same thing. Um, those exist on the Mac. And there are other tools. Ecamm uh, make a great tool. Ecamm Live for the Mac. So there are software there but it's not as powerful. And is that a Mac thing or is that a, an appetite thing? Is the audience just not there? So it's, I don't know. But all I know is if I want to be doing this stuff with the least amount of frustration, even though Windows brings its own frustrations, um, I have found that just doing it with a PC just makes the most sense for me. Yeah, and I'm not super involved in the maker community, but I'm like maker adjacent. You know, I'm always reading yeah. about the new Arduino or whatever. And it seems to me like a lot of that stuff as well has their software on PC more than on Mac. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think yeah, that's just I, kind I don't of know what the reason that. is. Yeah. It's just yeah, it just seems to be like that's the default for that kind of stuff. When you know, if we're talking about video production or audio production, the Mac seems to be the king, right? So, are there any? Is there any delight on Windows? I haven't like used it daily for a while now. I mean, is there anything? I like on the it design of Windows Eleven. I think it's really nice. I think they've done a lot of interesting stuff. You know, we were talking about the window management thing. Some of the stuff they've done there is really nice. Uh, but I would just say the overall polish of Windows is definitely improving. I, I think 11 looks 
much more modern, um, even though, you know, it doesn't take very long before you find yourself in a Windows 95 dialogue. Like these yeah. exist, like a couple of couple of layers down and you're back into XP or something. That is so crazy to me. Can I just say that for a minute? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a multi-billion dollar company and they can't get, they can't redo those dialogue boxes. I mean, even if you don't change the underlying code, why wouldn't you just put a new skin on it? I don't understand that. I mean, I think Microsoft, a lot of Microsoft's big problem is legacy upon legacy upon legacy. Like if you would consider them to have problems and that's because of their size, I think, right? It's just yeah, stuff that they I mean, can't or won't let go. That's just like, it's like, okay guys, but at least make it look like it was made in this century, you know? Yeah. It does feel like to me, like 11 is the start of that because like, they really did do a lot of work on the design, just the general design of windows and change some things, which people, you know, wouldn't expect or, or things that were a surprise like the taskbar got a lot of rethinking it moved to the middle right it looks kind of more more mac os now than it ever has yeah um, but i think i think they're doing some interesting stuff over there at windows now more than they were before this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by indeed go to indeed.com slash mpu and get a free 75 dollar credit to upgrade your job post you're successful in business because you love doing the research whether it's the state of the market or the next right hire. But when you're low on hours, you still want to do a great job on hiring. Who do you go to for help? It's time for Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only have to pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. With Indeed, you'll be in good company. You can join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast, and it's pretty incredible how easy Indeed makes it to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. So start hiring right now with a free $75 sponsored credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed dot com slash mpu that offer is valid through march 31st so go to indeed.com slash mpu to claim your 75 dollar credit before march 31st indeed.com slash mpu is that website one last time terms and conditions apply do you need to hire you need indeed and our thanks to indeed for their support of the mac power users and all of relay fm so mike i know you work on multiple projects uh, you've got Relay, you have your podcast, uh, you have Cortex Brain, which you mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago. One thing I know that you do that some people f- feel strongly about in favor and some feel strongly in favor against is you seem to really like separation for different types of work. I know you do this in particular with email and task management. Could you walk us through mm-hmm. some of those decisions you've made and, and why? Some of it's accidental. Uh- <laughs> You know, I like you know I like to try out new apps and services, 
But I've kind of realized over the last year, year and a half, that there is some benefit for me, the way I work and the way I think, to allow there to be uh, more silos between the types of communication that I have and with people um, and the work. Like, for example, you know, me and Stephen run a company together. We're also the best of friends. We separate those conversations. We can be having multiple concurrent conversations in Slack and in uh, iMessage mm-hmm. and in maybe a group iMessage. And I find that to be very good at helping keep like the boundaries of what is work and what is personal and all that kind of stuff. So me and Stephen did that years ago, and it's been great for all of our relationships, work and personal. Yep. I have now started to kind of apply that thinking to a lot more of the stuff that I do as my working life has become more complicated by bringing in kind of separate but also kind of overlapping projects. And I find there to be a real benefit in allowing me to kind of switch my mode at any one time. Like if I'm in the Relay FM Slack, I'm doing Relay FM work. If I'm in the Cortex brand Slack, I'm doing Cortex brand work. There could be, and then if I'm like in iMessage and I'm talking with Steven, or if I'm in iMessage and I'm talking with Gray, that's not the stuff that would be happening in Slacks, right? So that was the first part. Then as I was setting up new email accounts for this new business, what I didn't want is to just have everything all mixed in together. So I was like, okay, let me try and use a different email app for that. And so I used Gmail, iOS, MimeStream uh, on the Mac for my Cortex brand email. And then everything else is in Spark, which is where it's been before. And that also works really well because then if I'm like, okay, I'm sitting down to do some relay work, I'm not getting emails coming in or emails in the list that I are not for the mode that I'm in right now. And I have actually started to think about what it might be like to do more separation. Like at the moment, my email, uh, I get personal email and relay email all in Spark. I'm wondering, do I want a third email app? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. But like... I'm sure there are many people that hear that and go, that is wildly complex. Like you are adding in all these different elements. But for me, it has helped a lot of sim that has helped me mentally simplify a lot of the things that I'm doing. Because when I am sitting down to do a certain type of work, I'm getting less distracted by the other business things that I have going on in my life or the other personal things that are going on in my life. And I've just found it to be weirdly liberating in a way, and I think it's something that I want to keep exploring because it just means that I'm not getting bogged down by all of the disparate things that I'm doing. I'm kind of opening myself up to allow for a little bit more structure. That makes sense to me. I mean, I think there's an argument on both sides, right? You could say, well, mm-hmm. if you have multiple apps, it's more likely to have something fall through the cracks or you yep. know, where's the space between them? But um, we did a whole show last year on contextual computing. And to me, this yes. is a, a form of that. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I really believe that that if we're if we are to make these things productive devices as opposed to distracting devices, we have to find those little hacks that work with our brains to say, when I'm doing this, I'm going to be working on that. And I'm not going to be thinking about anything else. And uh, setting up silos of apps I think is a perfectly acceptable way to do it. The challenge of course is making sure nothing falls through those cracks, you know? 
because yeah th- that's that's the thing for me you know like i agree but that's like a, that's just a thing for me to handle right ultimately and you're aware of it right so mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a problem no are there any apps that you've come across in this in this journey that particularly delight you like what are you where are you doing tasks for all these things do you separate those two no uh everything goes into doist um i, I and i what i do there is i separate stuff into projects uh i'm not sure about the task management part like maybe that might be the only thing that i have that kind of spans across because really for me it all starts and ends with the task management so it become becomes kind of like the one central place where you know I start a task management system and it tells me what I need to do. Then I will go out from there to the other applications that I have. So I kind of like keeping Todoist as like the central place which dictates the work. I guess a calendar could be simple, like similar, I should say. But for me with calendars, I'm very much a only meetings go in the calendar person. Uh, I don't like block out time. I don't put reminders for myself. Like I don't do that. It's just like, the calendar will tell me when I have a commitment with somebody else. Outside of that, I'm free to do my own thing. Um, and then that's where I then go to the task manager and I've got my list of things that I want to do and I'll go from there and handle them. You know, like I used some tools like Trello and stuff like that with various projects, but I don't really consider those as tasks as such, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of project management, I think. is It's more projecty stuff. And for me, I would have a task that will tell me to go and deal with the project. And then from there, I would go to Trello, you know, and handle whatever work is needed to be done there. And I think for me, that works pretty nicely. What are your favorite features in Todoist? I mean, what about that app really draws you in? Natural language entry is massive for me. Um, you know, like, like many people, I... Fantastic how kind of saved and ruined me yeah. years and years ago with natural language entry for for um, calendar events, and to do its natural language entry is just as excellent. You know, it picks up the dates and times and everything, and it has its own shortcuts. You know, like I can just type in, I can add something to projects very easily. Um, I this is one of those things now where I don't remember what the shortcut is off the top of my head because my fingers know, but I think it might be if you type. See if a slash, like forward slash or the uh, hash key, the pound key. I don't remember which one it is now, but that will let me add it to a project. Yeah, right. It's like you you have muscle memory, but you don't have yeah. mind memory. I get it. No. Yeah. It's like at a certain point, my brain was just like, you don't need this information anymore. I'll, my fingers will take care of it for me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if you type if you type pound, it will then allow you to add it to projects. Like you, my, this is just very ingrained for me. What I also love on the Mac is just with a keyboard shortcut, I can bring up the Todoist entry field from anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like these are the kinds of things that when I did come back to the Mac, it's like, oh, I do like that I have that and I don't have to have it be a shortcut, like an actual like shortcut, shortcut where I need to go to a widget and press a button. Like I like that I can just enter wherever I am. Um, that is the biggest thing for me. The other thing, there are two other things that I really love about Todoist that brings me back to it all the time. I really love their kind of upcoming view because it just goes on forever, you know, so I can see what I've got today and over the next few days. And that's the view that I live in mostly. Um, but then the other thing is the simplicity. I like Todoist simplicity. I am not a GTD person. Um, every task that I get, enter into my to-do system, it gets a date and it gets a project. 
You know, I don't do these reviews or any of that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and, you know, I tried OmniFocus for a while. I was using OmniFocus for about a year. And ultimately, I realized all I was doing was trying to make OmniFocus more like Todoist and was getting stuck on the things that OmniFocus is really best at, but they're just not things that I need. Um, you know, I, I keep my list, my to do, my task list pretty small, um, as small as I can. And I don't really need a lot of that overhead. And Todoist allows me to get the power features that I want, but wraps it up in a more simple package. Do you do a task management primarily on the Mac or the mobile or both? That's an interesting question. I feel like probably the majority of entry is on the Mac, but the actual ticking off probably on my iPhone. I don't know why. But I feel like I, I'm spending, I spend more time doing that. Oh, it's because it's in your pocket. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, like for me, sometimes I will have done things throughout the day that I didn't realize were necessarily on the list. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, plus, I just really like the the way they have like a really nice drag and drop and good haptics and stuff like that. So I actually find Todoist to be a little bit of a joy to use on iOS. So I think I'm kind of drawn to it there. You know, like I might just grab it, pick it up and mark off some tasks, even if even if I'm sitting in front of the Mac at the time. You know, I, I should have asked you in the prior segment, but this kind of does beg the question. What do you do with iPad now since you're more on the Mac? What, what is the iPad used for? It is the home computer, the content consumption computer. Like okay. that, that's it for me now. Uh, like my, my iPad mini is purely watching video, uh, reading articles, reading comics, social media. Um, that's it. And, you know, I, I will do the occasional task on the iPad mini, you know, like checking some email, like all that kind of light stuff. Um, but this was like this morning before uh, I left the house for the day. Like I was starting out a little bit late. And I had just a couple of things that I wanted to do before I left. I just went and grabbed my laptop because it was like, this is just on the edge. You know, I, basically I needed to have two Google Sheets open. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to get the Mac because doing this on the iPad is not going to be a nice experience for me. You know? Yeah. Do you think when Apple releases like the M2 MacBook Air, you're going to have like a little light laptop to carry around with you? No. Okay. You're just, you're no, good with the 14. So. Yeah. I really love the MacBook Pro. I don't want to introduce um, complexity like that. I, I don't want a home Mac laptop or yeah. anything like that. Um, because for me right now, I like the, you know, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show, but like to reiterate, I, I like that going to get the Mac is a thing you know like i gotta go out and get the mac out of the bag and it's bigger and cumbersome and it stops me from doing work when i not in the office you know well you know one of your podcasts on relays cortex which you do with cgp gray which is Mm -hmm. i would recommend everybody listen to it's a great podcast and um you guys do these yearly themes every year and Mm -hmm. um this year you have chosen a theme that is fascinating to me. And what I wish I had done years ago is just, you're going to take the year to figure out stuff that you should probably not be doing anymore. You're not necessarily going to stop. Uh, let, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, that's kind of like the idea, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's called the, um, my focus is here. I'm calling it the year structure. And this is just something that, you know, you know, we can all sympathize with. We kind of get to the end of the year. We look at what we're doing and we think, Oh, maybe we should do less, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Stephen cancelled all of his podcasts at the end of the last <laughs> just year. Just two of them. Uh, all of them. They're all gone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is this thing? He got rid of all of them. Wait, this, we're recording You're just this? hanging out with David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, Mike, Mike, don't say anything. He doesn't know that we released this. <laughs> he hasn't known yet. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, on. I'll keep this to myself. Uh, and I, you know, I'd been feeling similar things to Stephen. I was just like, maybe I'm doing too much here. Um, but what I realized I didn't want to do was to make some kind of quick changes, quick reactions to this feeling. So I'm spending the rest of this year really thinking about all of my different responsibilities. Which ones do I stop? Which ones do I move to somebody else? Which ones do I change? What do I have to continue? And keeping that front of mind all the time. And then as I move throughout the year, uh, maybe like the half year or three quarters of the way through the year, make my decisions on what will not be around for me in 2023. Um, and then also along with the structure stuff is these things that I've been talking about, like separating out my machines more, separating out my apps more, and honestly trying to find some order in my life. 2021 was just like wild for me uh, from I just lost all control of my working life and was working way too many hours for me, um, way more than I uh, necessarily needed to on some projects that just other people could do or I just didn't need to be doing anymore. Um, and I feel like I kind of burnt out a little bit. And so I have made some immediate changes, put some better plans in place, um, making myself take vacation and then spending the rest of this, you know, maybe nine more months kind of working out what the next few years look like for me. It's a kind of like a foundational year for me, really. Like this is me setting up for maybe the next five, next 10, something like that. I think there's a lot of wisdom in saying, I'm going to take time to make these decisions. Um, yeah. You know, when I did the law firm shutdown, I made the decision very rapidly and I, uh -huh. and I took three months to shut it down, which really wasn't much time. And when I heard you were going to take a year to kind of look at everything, I thought that that's actually really smart. And I think it's something everybody could benefit from like saying, okay. I had a bit of the brainwave. And yeah. I think it's just because I, I have done the other thing a few times of like very quickly making some changes. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it is wrong at all. Um, and it worked for me multiple times, but my problem really stemmed from, I didn't know what to change. Hmm. I just know I wanted to change something. Yeah. Like I wanted the outcome, but I didn't know what would get me there. And I felt like if I just started making quick decisions, I might not be in a better position. And so I needed to keep that front of mind for a period of time. And it would allow me to kind of get to that end space. And you're also facing, from my perception, the additional challenge of the fact is most of the stuff you do, you really enjoy. So it's not like... You've got oh, something that feels like an spot. anchor around your neck. You, you're actually yeah. looking to maybe get rid of something you actually enjoy, but you just don't have time for. I'm blessed to work on a large variety of projects of all of my favorite people. How do you stop those? This is yeah. my problem, right? And yeah. so that's why like quick decisions just weren't going to work. And it, it was going to need a lot of time and some soul searching, I think, somewhere. Yeah, I, th I think it makes a lot of sense to spend time in those decisions you know mine were at the end of the year which is not the the best time just due to logistics <laughs> the way that mm -hmm. the podcasting mm -hmm. calendar works but i do think it is uh it is useful to to look at what you're doing and 
you know, sometimes the reasons for starting something uh, aren't there anymore, right? Or, or things have changed and it's not the right thing to continue. So uh, I totally get that. I did want to talk to you a, a little bit uh, in this section about the idea of uh, like seasonal themes. This is the first year that mm. I have, I've kind of decided, and, you know, maybe it's poor theme choice over the last few years, but I have found it hard to find or, or to define something even that feels like it's irrelevant. It's relevant for a year. And uh, mm-hmm. so I've kind of broken down at least this first part of the year into a season, which I think will probably continue for the next, the next quarter as well. But do you have any thoughts on <laughs> people? It, I like the idea of, yeah, I'm going to do a season and then in December. Yeah, no, that was my yearly theme. I just didn't know yeah, it at the yeah, time. Yeah, but I feel like it gives me a way out. You have more flexibility. Yeah. Some people find it daunting. Mm-hmm. I, it, what I'll say is if people do not know what we're talking about here, I really recommend we have a website called themesystem.com. It explains what a theme is. It's got a great video that Gray made. Um, it is selling a product as well that we have, but there's a lot of information there and you can take it and do whatever you want with it. You don't have to buy our journal to do the theme stuff, right? We, Me and Gray were doing theme stuff way before we had a product that was to help people with them. And something Gray has pushed a lot of times is the idea of seasonal themes. So instead of doing a theme for an entire year, do a theme for three months. I've done this in the past. I've had themes that ran for six months. One of mine, my favorite one was the year of positivity was like a theme that ran for, it was for six months because I felt like everyone in the Apple community was just too sad and too mad. Hmm. And I decided I didn't want to be anymore. Um, I I don't remember. This was like, 2017 or something like all the computers were bad and no one liked the software and i was just like i'm just gonna change it up because i was getting bummed out doing all my favorite shows because we were just you know we all complained but we were complaining a lot and a lot more yeah and so i was trying to find more positivity in it all and so i really recommend it as a you know for some people it's a starting point uh for some people their brains just work better that way like it's more comfortable for them Um, You know, the whole point of yearly themes is to subvert the idea of goals and resolutions to remove potential fail states from them. Like, that's the idea. So, like, a great example is if you decided you wanted to do the year of health, that's way better than I want to lose 25 pounds this year. Because if you say you want to lose 25 pounds, you got to do it. And then there's a number. But year of health can morph into other stuff. You know, like, for example, you may start on a fitness thing and that's great for you. But then there's some mental health stuff that you want to work on and you do that. Well, that's all year of health. But you've allowed yourself that flexibility. So for people that do also maybe find the idea of year of daunting, the flexibility, you could take it even more and do what Stephen's doing and doing seasonal stuff. And I'm really happy to hear that you're doing it because I, you know, I was listening to the show and I heard you say you didn't want to do a yearly theme anymore, which I understand. But I hope that you would pick up on that idea of seasonal themes because I think that they can be really helpful for people too. And there are just some people that work like that. And, you know, we call it yearly themes and year of something. It's just like an easy way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of just having a theme for the next three months, a theme for the next six months, and just having kind of like a guiding principle that moves you through a period of time, I think is a very powerful tool as well. Yeah. I, I like to do it quarterly as well, 
maybe it's a, a result of my attention span. <laughs> I don't know, but the, uh, but I also like the fact that every three months I have to force myself to re-examine it and decide if that's still relevant to me or not. And, Do either um, of you have names for these current seasonal themes that you're willing to share? <sighs> um, mine is kind of mine like water quarter. Everything okay. is, or begin beginner's mind is basically, mm-hmm. this is insane, but because I've changed my life, I need to be very conscious of not prejudging things as they come into me right now. I, cause everything right. is open right now. And so it's all, you've got a lot of flexibility and change, right? Yeah. I've got to just be willing to like, not necessarily say no right away or yes, right away, but just like be open to things and, um, it's working, but I, I it, it's quarterly for me. I'll be looking at it again at the end of March. That's good. Steven? Uh, mine is the season of beating Mike. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it is. <laughs> Had to go there. Yeah. I, just want, I just want to be faster, stronger, and taller than Mike Hurley, you know? Yeah. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> mine is a season of building. So I had. Okay. Really, the last like year and a half have been. I mean, obviously, they've been chaotic for everybody, but I have felt that really acutely from really closer to two years now, rebuilding the relay membership program. You know, all the, the the just wild stuff that happened in 2020 and then in 21 or the end and 21 building the new studio. I had extremely dis, uh, an extremely disruptive operation uh, kind of in this time frame in the fall of 2020 that really took much longer to recover from than I had anticipated. And so I've kind of felt coming into 22 that hopefully a lot of the chaotic stuff from two years ago over the two years was kind of in the past, right? The The membership is up and running. It's doing really well. The studio's built. I'm like back able to do what I want to do physically. And so the idea was to focus on putting, I mean, kind of like your structure. And I may have used that um, if you hadn't. And the only reason... I didn't use it even though you did is like now it's defined in my mind is what you said on cortex. <laughs> it was like poisoned the term a little bit for me uh, in terms of my own usage, but building in uh structure and, and discipline into areas to like take advantage of the new space and what the membership allows us to do and getting rid of the shows that I got rid of means that I don't, I don't have the workload I did even six months ago, but mm. wanting to be disciplined and build on top of that and not just fill that time with things that don't like, don't get me to where I ultimately want to be. And so I have it season of building with a little hammer emoji in my menu bar nice. on my Mac through the one thing oh. app, which Dave and I have both talked about. And so I just, I see it all the time and it's right next to, you know, the other things in my menu bar. So it's in my line of sight and so far, it's gone. It's gone really well. The first quarter of it, the focus was kind of rebuilding my exercise routines because they were they were totally disrupted right. for almost a year uh, after having my foot operated on, and have, that has been a to to the extent that five twelve five twelve members will know this because I wrote about it in my newsletter. Uh, it is the only fitness is the only non work thing that I track time for, so I don't track time for you know, house repairs or doing, you know, things around the house, dishes, cleaning, that sort of thing. 
everything in Same. Timery is work except for fitness. I wanted to elevate that. I started that doing that this, this year too. I started doing that as well. Oh, did you? Um, I made the color black yeah, yeah. in uh, in Timery. <laughs> it's like it's just like it really jumps out at me when I see it on that graph, and I want that that to be a bigger and bigger part of the chart as the year goes on. Yeah, I track it as part of a, a like just a project called self improvement, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not fitness isn't the only thing that goes in there, but it it's the only non work thing that I track because I do think working on myself benefits everything else that I do, yeah. so I should take it seriously. And then I get that little credit in my mind of like, well, these were hours spent doing a thing that was important. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love the, your your year theme too. I will say, you know, we get a lot of listeners share their themes with us. This idea, like, and a lot of people came up with the name Foundation. This has been very prevalent this year. Um, so I think a lot of people are going through these similar kinds of feelings of coming back to the world in a different way um, and and trying to now integrate and add and or remove things that have changed over their lives or are coming back to their lives. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been really fascinating to see that simultaneous creation from all these different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we did an episode of Focus where we called it the big reset, and it really yes. was for so many people. I mean, yeah. Uh, even like the massive changes I've made in my life, I think that this played a role in it. I, I don't Definitely. consciously like, I'm not sure that, you know, COVID's the reason I did that, but I feel like, you know, it did raise questions that maybe I wouldn't have asked myself otherwise. This episode of Mac power users is made possible by FitBod. Between balancing work, family, and everything else we all have going on, it can be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you. That's why you need FitBod. Its algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability, and will craft a personalized exercise plan that's unique to you. Their app makes this incredibly easy and easy to learn how to perform each exercise, which is really important. Personal fitness isn't about competing with others. You don't want to look to others and try to stack up against them or do what they do. What you need is something that will work for you, and that's when it sticks, and that's when you'll see the results you're looking for. FitBod uses data to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan, and you'll have instant access to your personalized routine and their fantastic app, so you can make progress on your goals from anywhere. I've been using FitBot for quite a while. I've been really happy with my progress. And it's really cool to see the app change and adapt my workouts over time. So if I notice and realize that I can do more weight on a certain workout, I can go in there and tell it and it adjusts moving forward. If I buy a new piece of fitness equipment for my home gym, I can put it in the app and it reconfigures itself to accommodate that additional equipment. Everyone's fitness path is different which is why FitBod does so much work to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. They learn from your last workout, so your next one will be even better. Whether you work out twice a day or twice a week, FitBod tracks your muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure you're not overworking anything. The app's really easy to use. It looks great with a fantastic new design, and they have brand new HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles, So you can see what you're supposed to do and make sure you're doing it correctly. And of course, it integrates with a bunch of stuff like Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatches, apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. 
Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. You can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash MPU. So go there now and get your customized fitness plan. That's fitbod.me slash MPU, and you'll get 25% off your membership. Our thanks to FitBod for the support of the show and Relay FM. All right. We always like to finish the show talking about apps and services and little things that bring you joy and delight that listeners may be interested in. So, Mike, share some of your favorites with us. We spoke about time tracking a minute ago. Timery yeah. is the app. Um, yeah. I'm, I would hope that all Mac Power users listeners are very familiar with Timery at this point. Um, it is my favorite iOS app. Now, one of my favorite Mac apps. Um, I'm so happy that Timer is on the Mac. I love having it in my menu bar. It's so great. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to see the current timer, change the current timer, start new ones, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've been really, really happy with that addition. Uh, I just think Timer is just an absolute top-notch um, app for Apple's platforms now in general. Uh, yeah, I really love it. And if people are thinking about time tracking, that's the way to go. When you use it, do you automate? Do you, do, you, do you use automation for it or do you just manually click it? How do you track your time? What, what's the process? On iOS, I have shortcuts that I've built um, by and large. I have the widget too. So if there's something that I'm doing which is not in my shortcuts, then I can go there. Um, I will say one of the things that I really like uh, that Joe, the developer of Timery, has built since making the Mac app is auto-filling in the application and I'm finding myself these days like I tend to open the app a lot more even on iOS just through the widget which I have on my home screen and this is how I do it on my Mac too of just once you set a new timer and just start typing something whether it's the you know name of a tag or a name of a project it will give I think it's maybe like a week or something or X amount of of like uh, timers it kind of saves and you can just it pre-fills it so you can just tap it and start the timer I'm finding myself doing that more and more and more because it's the way that I always do it on the Mac. And now it's kind of ingrained to me that it's how I do it on iOS too. So that's like a really simple way for me to do it and get my projects and my tags pre-filled. But I do also have a selection of shortcuts that also have timer reactions in them. You know, like one of the ones that I use a lot is uh, when I record a show, like I just hit the shortcut, it looks in my calendar finds my um, next upcoming event from the specific calendar, which is my podcast calendar. They are all titled in such a way that it matches my timery tags. So it will create a new timer, add the tag with the name of the event, and set my recording focus for the next two hours. So that's one that I use a lot. And so timery is built into a selection of shortcuts that I have, but more and more these days, I found myself opening the app to set other things. Yeah, and he's done a lot of cool stuff on the Mac to make it easy to enter time. So um, it's all there. Yeah, it's all there. What else brings you joy and delight? I feel like these these two applications that I'm mentioning first. These are the ones that I seem to just talk about all the time. So I just want to get them out of the way. Uh, okay. CleanShot X right. is the next app that I really love, and I hope people use. It is just like it's the best screenshot utility around. It's so much better than what Apple builds in, and it's got a bunch of other features that I love. Um, basically, you set it up to replace Apple's tools. You, you know, they recommend you use the same keyboard shortcuts, um, and it does. There, are, 
It does multiple, multiple things. Some stuff that I love is you can set up how you want it to handle the screenshots like automatically. Like for me, when I take a screenshot, the screenshot goes into the little corner, the same as Apple's. It will not disappear until I've done something with it because that's what I want it to do. You know, like with Apple's, it kind of disappears and I think it will then save it to, I don't know where on the Mac, but I know on iOS, like it saves it to your photo roll or whatever. Maybe it's the same for the Mac or it goes to the desktop. I don't know because I don't use that feature. I use CleanShot X instead. Um, it has really nice like um, annotation tools built in. Um, you can do some cool stuff with like capturing just windows and it can bring your desktop wallpaper in. So like, you know, so it looks like it's the only thing you have on your desktop, even if it isn't, you can do scrolling captures. If you want to capture a web page, just video, you can make gifts. Like it's got so much really, really excellent stuff. And I just find it like a, just such a great little, uh, such a great little application. I really, really love it. Yeah. Uh, Steven, how are you doing screenshots? Are you using CleanShot X as well? I am. Mike uh, Mike talked it up so much for so long, I decided to check it out. And uh, I really like the the workflow it gives you. It is pretty similar to the new screenshot tool that's in macOS. You know, Grab was there for like 100 years, but it yeah. is uh, really powerful. And I like the, um, I really like the markup features that it has. So you take a screenshot and you can edit it very quickly. And I, I like those tools better than what come with markup in Mac OS and in preview. So yeah, I've, I've been using it for maybe three months and I've been, I've been really happy with it. Yeah. That, that's kind of like the tipping point, like two or three months and you haven't been annoyed by it, then it's a keeper, right? Mm-hmm. What else, Mike? Uh, lock it is an app uh, that I saw go, like being mentioned a lot recently. Um, it's an iOS app. And it is a, mostly a widget application. And what you can do is you can add friends. So you have people that use Locket. You can add friends that you have using your, like, you know, you set your phone number or whatever, whatever it is you sign up to with the service. And you can send pictures to people that appear in a widget on their home screen. So me and my wife, Adina, use this to just send little funny pictures to each other all day. And I think it is an absolutely darling little application I think it's really well made and it's very cute and it brings me joy. And I think people should use this app. I think it's super cool and they keep adding new features all the time. You know, like you can have multiple people and you can send just specific people certain images. Um, I love the name. It's so perfect, you know, for what it is. It's just like a little locket. It lives on your home screen and it's just little images that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. It's a, it's a lovely application. It brings me joy every day. Yeah, I saw this in the notes when we were prepping for the show, and now I've installed it, and Daisy and I are going to try it out. I, I think this will be fun, especially for like someone very close to you. Yeah, it's really, really great. Like, I think the, the app is intended to be used with a small group of friends. I think that was like the initial intention of the application. But I think where it really shines is between loved ones, you know, like very close loved ones, partners, that kind of thing. Um, I wanted to mention Parcel. Parcel was my parcel tracking application. It, I was a deliveries user for a really long time uh, and loved it and still love deliveries. I think design-wise, deliveries is way nicer. Then parcel deliveries, you know, kind of has that old school delight in its design, you know, um, and, and I think they do a really great job with that. But ultimately, parcel does for me better what I need it to do, which is it has more support for more services for tracking parcels and does it inside of the application. Like a big one for me, like our mail service, Royal Mail, 
um, in parcel, I can get all of the information just inside of the app. In deliveries, I had to press a link to go and log in on the Royal Mail website. I don't know why that difference is, why one could have it and the other couldn't, but the developer at Parcels found a way to do that. Um, the Amazon integration that it has is pretty cool too. You know, it's a little janky. You have to keep logging in with your account every couple of weeks or whatever. Um, but it's nice to have, you know, just an automatic thing added to my parcel tracking application whenever I buy something on Amazon. Like, just like a cool thing to have. But overall, I just find the app to do a better job at tracking what I need, which is the, where the deliveries are in the world with more of the services that I use. Yeah, I switched to it as well because of the Amazon integration where it automatically knows what is shipped in your Amazon account. And it has this cool feature that if it if a package starts with one carrier and then switches to another carrier, very often Parcel can detect that and say, hey, do you want to switch this from Amazon shipping to the postal service and instead of having to re-enter it as a new thing? All those little niceties, I think, for me, make up for the the design that isn't really, I don't think, is even close to what Deliveries has uh, has enjoyed. I mean, Deliveries is beautiful. Parcel is is not necessarily. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just really simple, the design of Parcel, right? Like, it just it doesn't have any of that personality. And then, Mike, you are a fan of this app, Flighty, and... Uh, I know that I don't yeah. even know what does flighty do? Is it tell you what gate you need to go to or what is it? So p- parcel tracks things I want as they go around the world. Flighty tracks me as I move around the world <laughs> and I've got okay. more travel going on again in my life. Um, and I really like flighty. Uh, it is expensive. Um, I don't remember exactly what the subscription is. It's a subscription app, and it is expensive. So I only recommend this application if you are a somewhat frequent traveler. But it is very, very well made. Um, it it does a really great job of getting all of the possible information that I ever might want about a flight, um, its path, and all the kind of stuff that I might enjoy. And it gives me a bunch of really useful information, including push notifications of things that may be changing on my flight. Um, It does a really nice job of integrating into my calendar and adding things there. Um, I'm on the beta and there's some really cool features coming up that I I can't talk about. But like, I, you know, it is an application that is really well made, really well thought out. And I've used applications that were more expensive than this one and didn't do half as good a job. Um, I, I think if if you are an, a, a somewhat frequent traveler, you should do it. It's got great stats. It keeps them year over year so you can compare how many miles you fly around the world if that's the thing you care about. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really nicely made application and I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, Stephen, do you have any like flight tracker apps? I used to have one, but they all went to subscription and I fly like once or twice a year and it just didn't make sense for me anymore. Yeah, in the past, I dabbled with a couple of different ones, but when I ever get on a plane again, which right now I have a a flight scheduled for June being my first one, I think I would use Flighty if my if my travel really if if it ever approached what it used to be. Flighty is, uh, Michael, want to see what you think about this statement? It is one of the most beautiful apps on the iPhone in a category that has no reason to be beautiful, right? Like 
the, the team that's behind this was also behind Weatherline. At least some of the people were. And Weatherline is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I got sold and <laughs> got shut down, which is sad. But like, this is straight up utility app, but it is it is just so beautiful. Like, just at least, dear listener, go look at the the screenshots on their website. There's no reason a flight tracker should look this good, but boy, does it. Yeah, it really, really, it's beautiful. I mean, and that's something I enjoy about it. And the subscription's 50 bucks a year. So, you know, it, it's it's a real deal app if you want, if you do a lot of flying. Well, Mike Hurley, we're happy to have you back on the Mac and back on the Mac Power Users. Although we weren't keeping you off because you're on the <laughs> iPad. I was super interested in what you were doing there, too. It sounds like I it. I know. It does. The more I it, say it that, the like worse it gets, right? <laughs> <laughs> but either way, um, uh, as always, you know, you know, the problem, Mike, is you and I talk so often that I forget that you're not on any of the podcasts because we talk, you know, and, uh, but anyway. That's um, true. That's the, uh, true. Uh, thanks for coming on and, and sharing the story with us today. And, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your year and your, your, uh, your year theme and how that comes out for you. Uh, folks, uh, if folks want to find you, I guess they would go to relay.fm and look at most of the shows. You're on a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, but where else would they go if they want to find you? Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Um, you know, like everybody, I, I post what I'm up to there on Twitter and Instagram, stuff like that. And uh, where do people go to follow your uh, your keyboard builds? Uh, go to Mike.live. That's my Twitch channel. Uh, and I stream kind of once a week, usually on a Friday. Uh, if people want to come and hang out there, uh, I would really appreciate it. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing how Moon works out for you. I feel like that might be the answer for you, man. I just feel like that might that yeah. might solve the problem. We'll see. All right. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. That's our friends over at Samebox, Text Expander, Indeed, and FitBod. We are the Mac Power users. You can find us at relay.fm slash mpu you can also find those great forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com and uh we'll see you next time